You are listening to Believe, Strive, Achieve, Endurance Podcast with Diogo Custodio. If this is your first time listening, then thanks so much for coming. Get ready and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Believe, Strive, Achieve, Endurance Podcast. My name is Diogo. Today, our guest is Alan Ward, one of our uh, coaches. I was about to say athlete, but he's one of our coaches. Alan, welcome to our podcast. How are you? I'm good, thanks, Diego. Almost, almost athlete, I think. Um, <laughs> for, for, formerly known as. Um, yeah. Anyway, Alan, for those who, who know you, uh, you have been in this company for, for a long time already. But um, for those who don't know you, my, I was about to ask you, who is Alan Ward? But um, I don't want to make the question that way. I was more interested about um, how did you end up in triathlon as a coach? As a coach, um, I guess my interest in sport um, and wanting to know more and to learn more and to to work things out and to understand how things sort of ticked. So I guess curiosity is a very simple answer. Um, like the long, the longer answer is maybe goes back to how I started racing myself. Um, so I always did a lot of sport when I was younger. Lots of you know, lots of different things. Um, so I used to, I used to actually play table tennis at a fairly high level when I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. Um, which is something I, I always think like a lot of people probably wouldn't guess. Um, table tennis. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if we've ever discussed that actually. Never. That's a new thing for me. Um. Yeah, I I, uh, I played in a few sort of national ranking tournaments when I was about 14, 15. I used to practice, um, I don't know, not, not a huge amount, like I guess now, but maybe like 10 hours, 10 hours a week, maybe something like that. Um, used to play in leagues, but I guess for, you know, when you're uh, somewhere between the ages of 13 and 15, that's mm-hmm. a fairly significant amount, especially amongst other sports. Um, but yeah, like I went, I went to university to to do sports science, the you know the kind of obvious choice, um, and uh, I I always cycled growing up, and my, I I still sort of say that my fastest running splits were probably when I was eleven or twelve years old. Um, <laughs> I was near probably nearly as fast as yourself back then, um, <laughs> and uh, and yeah, so and then I, I learned to swim in a swimming club. Um, so weirdly, cycling was the one I probably did the least. Co- I did. I never competed, but it's the thing that I've you know grown up and enjoyed the most, and it's what I did at university. And uh, I get. I have this really old memory of when I was running. So when I was younger, twelve or thirteen, somebody mentioning triathlon to me. Um, and I guess I have a little tinge of regret that I never took it up at the, the at that time. It wasn't until I was. Um, I was probably around my 19th birthday, maybe something like that, 19 or 20, I think it was. Uh, Yeah, it would have been 19. Somebody mentioned triathlon to me. And, you know, it was an old boy in the local club who who knew my dad and just sort of had a, you know, he stopped me in the street pretty much, had a chat and said, oh, have you thought about giving this a go? And I think it, it prompted that memory of being curious about this sport and, it seemed to make a lot of sense and it and it came at a time for me when um i sort of had i was playing i played football as a kid as well the whole way through and i i you know i 
played um I got into like FA school of FA school of excellence stuff when I, I think I was 11 or 12 um like so went uh, full on went for like trials to play for Devon and stuff like that um and I got a little bored of it and I guess football was moving towards what it what we know it is now not what it was in the early 1990s I guess pre the premiership um and so I was looking for something else to grasp my attention and triathlon was it and yeah, it went from there really and then obviously throughout uni looked into it and then oh you know I'd, I'd coach because my the coaching actually uh, the first two sports I coached and I, co- I was a level two triathlon uh, triathlon triathlon the brain level two table tennis coach when I was 16 uh, I, I coached in um I went to the local junior school and coached some of the, the you know fellow younger juniors within the table tennis co- uh, table tennis club. Um, so I still know a few practices and things from table tennis even now. Um, so I used to always go coach for an hour on a Saturday morning at the local local table tennis club. Um, used to walk down there on my bat. And go and play from I think it was like I think it was about nine o'clock till midday every Saturday morning. I used to do that. I used to play fifty. Yeah, I, I always remember the old boy there, Reg, Reg Pugsley. Sadly, I don't think he's low, uh, uh, with us, but he was a crafty old bugger. And I used to remember giving him my fifty p to go to table tennis club, which seems uh, wildly cheap given the amount I spend on triathlon kit now. <laughs> um, and uh, used to have a I used to have a carbon fiber. Uh, table tennis blade and I suppose that was the early days of my carbon fiber addiction um, but yeah so I coached within that and then at uni I uh, I picked up a level two uh, FA football association coaching certificate and uh, I, I actually went off to America and coached for uh, for three months on camps whilst I was at university and then after that obviously with triathlon I didn't see myself as the next Alex Ferguson or, or uh, well, I, I struggled to name a uh, an elite table tennis coach, um, maybe somebody like Matthew Syed, um, famous for writing, oh, if I can remember the book, I'm sure some people don't know what I mean, I think he writes in the Times and stuff now, but he, I think he coaches a little bit, but yeah, I didn't really see myself in that and wanted to learn more about triathlon, so during my master's degree, I picked up a level two and they needed a coach within the uni club. So I coached a few sessions there and yeah, I guess here we are. and here we are. Here we are answering your question in a very long-winded manner. So apologies. <laughs> this was uh, like what, 50 years ago, something like that? 50. Um, 15. 15. Oh, 15. God, blimey. Um, You're not that old, come on. <laughs> No, so my master's would have been 2005, 2006, so yeah, 15 years ago. The, yeah, the, the table tennis qualification would have been, dare I say it, five years earlier. Um, 2001, 2002. Yeah, like so that. I guess like, you know, if, if I was really pressed, like how long have I been coaching? It's 20 years. That's impressive. Um, it's funny that... Um, did your masters when I started doing triathlon? It was it was in two thousand five, and I remember that that time triathlon was so different from 
But that's funny because we started doing triathlon at the same time in that case, and I didn't know that. It was funny that it was in 2005, and um, things at the time were so different from what they are right now. Even the, the bike frames, the, the racing kit, the shoes. Now you can even be having doping on the shoes that you're wearing for running. Um, what have been the biggest difference that you've found between those days and the reality we have nowadays? So, so I, I obviously you, you sent me this question beforehand, and I was like, "Whoa, blimey, that's it! That's a really interesting question. What has changed since then?" And uh, the sort of the funny short answer that came up was the Brownleys. <laughs> Um, from my point of view, like the the profile of the sport has skyrocketed. So I, I went and googled who won the um, the triathlon world championships, and the, my guess in my mind, I don't know if you can, who won the two thousand and six short course worlds, Diego? Uh, six. No, it was not Bevan Doherty. No, not even close. Did you think? Maybe if I give you the location, like if I give you the location, I think you'll get it. I would say Australia or United States, one of those countries. Ah, uh, no, it was in Lausanne. Uh, Tim Don. Yeah, and and what about the ladies race? In two thousand six, um, Vanessa was showing up in the in, the, in that period. Mm -hmm. That's a good. That's good, but it's not right. <laughs> yeah, it was not Vanessa. No, um, she was second. Was Emma Snowsill at the time? Yeah, Emma Snowsill. And that's it's funny that, isn't it? Because I, I think this generation don't realise how legendary Emma was. Oh, she was amazing. A lot of people would now just yeah. know her as Emma Fredino. Exactly. <laughs> she was Snowsill before Fredino. That's something. Yeah, um, she was incredible as a runner. I think that both of them, Vanessa and Emma Snowsill, played some very interesting battles at the time. Um, because one or the other would, would win the race. They already knew it at the beginning of the race. Yeah. Um, even the Olympic Games, we didn't know who's going to win it, if Vanessa or Emma Snowsill. Yeah. And it's um, funny that they, those are the examples. And I think, like, so looking, you know, maybe this, you know, that, that sort of conversation there actually answers the question better. Because if you, I'm sure you remember, but obviously, Emma. I think Emma and Vanessa were running low, low 31, 32 minutes for 10K yeah. on the bike. And that yeah. that was a huge separator for them in terms of being um, sort of maybe two or three minutes away from the other female athletes who are more sort of in the 34, 35 minute range. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, for... At the time, there was this kind of everybody used to use that expression about a wet runner when it came to the the ITU races, um, and obviously that's I don't think that's I don't think that's really the case now. Um, but then I also went and looked up who won at Kona that year. Any 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 guesses? A German. Yes, well done. <laughs> um. I'm forgetting the name of the guy. Uh, Too much glue. Uh, what was his name? Um, I have to help me out here. Come on. Norman Stadler. Won. Norman Stadler. Yeah. Yeah. He beat Chris McCormack. And that was the year, actually, that the bike course record, he broke the bike course record for 418. Um, and obviously, Cam Worth has now come along. And that shows you how long that time stood for. 
15 years. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, well, maybe it was 14 years. I think it was the year before camp as well. And then Michaela Jones won the, uh, won the women's race as well. Um, so, yeah, Australia and Germany were dominant. And I guess maybe the British Revolution is probably uh, part of those changes. But, you know, Norman Norman's obviously was known for just being an amazing biker. So I think across short course and long course, Excuse me. I think um, triathlons progress to um, being complete. Yeah, you can't. You can't. And I think it extends down into age group racing as well. Now you can't be, you know, weak at any one of the disciplines. I think triathlon, if you like, has matured. So you you do truly have to be a triathlete. You've got to be strong in the swim, the bike, and the run. And I guess going back to my initial answer, the Brownleys are a really good example of that. Yeah, I remember when Alistair in Beijing, he well, he was in the first group and everyone was like, what is this guy trying to do? Uh, come on, mm-hmm. he's a rookie, come on, what are you trying to do? But we were just watching one of the best, if not the best guy ever in triathlon, uh, alongside with Gomez. And that came, as, a, as you said, a revolution uh, for triathlon because you need to swim fast, you need to cycle as a beast, and you have to be an incredible runner nowadays to win a triathlon. And before that, I think Lance Armstrong said that uh, triathlon was um, soft. Soft. The bike was like a shower uh, on the bike. They just missed a shampoo and they just needed to run. Yeah. But nowadays, it's not like that. It's no. different. No. It's really interesting. I mean, like uh, Now we're getting some really, you know, the last few years, some really good examples of that. So obviously, Alistair making Commonwealth Games 10k time, um, Camworth um, riding for Ineos this year and just slotting back into the pro peloton in um, Tour Down Under, no problem. Um, yeah, I don't think, there's obviously not so many examples from uh, the women's side of the field. Like the, the profile is not, and the depth of the field, the depth of the competition is not, not at the same level, but of you know, it's tough, tough ask. You know, obviously, pro. I think female pro cycling's made a big, a big step in the last few years. Um, running, running. I don't, I don't have a comparison point really. Where, you know, that Alistair jumping over. I don't, I can't. I don't know if you can think of any athletes that have done that. But I can't, I can't. Um, well, I don't. I cannot remember any one of them. For males, I have a few guys who are incredible runners, like Alex E, for example. Yeah, yeah, good example. Or, yeah. uh, or Mario Mola. Um, Wouldn't it be great if some of the female athletes did? would be quite interesting to see how yeah. they perform, yeah. Yeah, it would be really interesting, because I, I, I think, I think the, uh, the level of performance is there. You know, like Daniela Reef to jump over and uh, maybe do some bike racing. I mean, yeah, I guess you can say, obviously, with Lucy with the swimming. Actually, that's that's a good yeah. point. Yeah. So and, um, you know, near well, near as damn it, making the team for Beijing for the open water race, and uh, she's not on her own getting out of the front in every race. I'm not quite sure, for example, if uh, Nicola Spirig have done anything like that. Ah, uh, yeah, she, she she did do the Swiss Marathon Champs. That's a good good one. Uh, okay, and uh, the American one um, won the gold medal in. In Rio, actually, what's her name? Brian Jorgensen. Yeah, Jorgensen, who tried to go for a marathon, but uh, things didn't go as planned. 
Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I guess maybe it just doesn't get as much coverage, which is a shame. But yeah, maybe that's it for another another conversation. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but yeah, a lot of things have happened. Um, do you think that's because of the the way the athletes are being coached right now, or just the genes or luck? Um, Approaching has been changing quite a lot recently. I think it's a natural progression that comes with the you know. I've I've written some stuff recently for like the the internal coach development um, platform for the try training harder coaches, mm-hmm. and that 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 has meant you know looking into the history of the sport, but also like the history of coaching. Um, so there's some really there's a really interesting progression from like early running coaching so like i think fartlek as a as a sort of a um a format goes back to the 1930s and um some oh, some yeah. coaches some coaches back then like i must say i can't remember it off right off the top of my head now um and then other coaches um are oh, the name is on the tip of my tongue in new zealand after i think it's lydiart um and uh, Frank Horwell um, into the sort of the 50s, who was Roger Bannister's coach. And then there's a link there towards uh, Sebastian Coe and his father coaching him and sort of it going from uh, and how periodization developed through those those different sort of coaches and eras of coaching, if you like. And it all comes from running to start with. So in, in early sort of formats of interval training, and obviously there's no sort of feedback. It's just go hard, go easy. And then um, with the, the, I swear I'm going to get it wrong, but Lydiard's coaching where everybody had to run 100 miles in the base phase. Doesn't matter what you're doing, you just run 100 miles every week. And that, that was just the simplicity of it. And then how that kind of changed. And then in, I think it was 1982, 83, when Polo Electro came out with the first heart rate monitor and some of the athletics and runners coaches started to bring that in. And I think Peter Keane, who was at British Cycling, started to bring it in. And then there was this sort of evolution and transition towards heart rate and cycling sort of started to take the, take up the baton in terms of technology. And then um, late 80s, early 90s, this, this thing called the power meter came in. And we mm-hmm. started to get a much better idea of how intensity as well as volume and duration can be sort of measured, tracked and progressed. Um, and that's kind of taken over. And then obviously in the last few years, few years, we've seen the running power meter come in. So I think the technology and the coaching is one thing, but also running concurrently to that is um, the development of the sport itself. So obviously running is sort of one of the oldest sports, if you like. Um, and then the, the Tour de France and cycling, if you like, being a similar age. But triathlon, you know, I mean, there's the, the I think it's the Trois Sports uh, was spoke about in the 1930s uh, as the, the first instance of triathlon in history. But it's only really since the, the late 70s that triathlons exist. Mm-hmm. So when you compare that to thinking about the uh, the ancient Olympics and the uh, the first marathon, it's uh, it's barely out of nappies in terms of being a sport. Um, so I think it's just a natural progression of time. 
and so obviously I think at the two at the two thousand Olympics in Sydney was when triathlon first made it into the Olympic Games. So that's you know twenty years ago now. Um, the first marathon at the Olympics was when I'm, I'm not even going to have nineteen hundred earlier eighteen hundred. <laughs> so they're like you know they're a hundred years ahead of us. Yeah. Um. I I know I know I know obviously that 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 techno that technology and coaching and training is separate. Um. But you know we're still only um twenty years old in terms of being Olympic sport. So it's gathering pace, and it, the thing is. For me, I, even going back those 15 years, it used to grate me a little bit when people would ask me, um, so what's your sport? I'd be like, triathlon. They'd be like, no, but what's your sport? I'd be like, triathlon. <laughs> and I think now that's changed to, like, people say triathlon, they go, okay. They don't ask you, is it swim, bike, or run? And I guess that's, you know, reflected in the answer to the previous question as I well. I remember when I, what's yeah. changed. When I started doing triathlon, when I used to say, I, I do triathlon, and the answer was like, what is that? When I started doing doing it. So yeah. people nowadays, if I say to them, oh, I'm a triathlete, a triathlon coach, or I do triathlon, oh, that's that kind of sport where you guys swim, bike, and run, right? That's quite tough, right? Yeah. Um, it's quite interesting that you said that technology had played um, a huge role. And I don't, I don't know if you, ha if you have the same feeling as I do. Uh, when coaching some of the athletes, but I think that technology can be your best friend, but at the same time can be one of your yeah. worst enemies because you live so focused on technology that sometimes, well, the athletes tend to forget about their own body and their own feelings. And um, I struggle so much with some athletes when I try to ask them, the first thing you need to do is to learn about your body and the feelings that you have during the workouts. Don't live just for the technology. Do you do you feel the same? I think it can be a huge distraction um, for athletes. Like you can you can miss the point because the, I spoke to when I first started in coaching, sort of for triathlon. So I went from the uni, finished my masters, and went back home to to North Devon. And I actually spent a long time, funnily enough, um, I guess being mentored to some degree by Joe Beer. And I actually used to sit and. Uh, for, I think for a couple of years, recorded podcasts with Joe once a month. Um, so it's funny now doing this, doing this with you, I guess. And I, I learned, I learned a lot from uh, from Joe originally. And I, I went back home, I think two years ago, and did my local triathlon. And it was funny because Joe was pre had sort of been invited to present the awards, and I think I, I was, uh, I think I was second. Uh, you know, young lad got me on the run and beat me. Too too quick for me on the run as per usual the year. Um and um so Joe was presenting and we, we had a little chat afterwards. It was nice to catch up with him. And uh it was one of those points where you reflect a little bit on, you know, what you've learned over the years. And the big ticket item is is just being able to do the work consistently. Mm -hmm. Um that that's the you know, cutting it back to its simplest thing. It's being able to do a, a good quality training for a prolonged period of time. That's what makes the difference. And a prolonged period of time is like five to 10 years, you know, for somebody to really get somewhere age group or, or elite doesn't really matter. 
what it is. It's just being able to mentally and physically sustain doing the work. Um, but I think I think personally, socially, emotionally, as well. That's that that's a big thing. Uh, I think sometimes that can be forgotten with all of the um, technology, and it, <laughs> athletes quite often want to know what the secret is, and that that conversation with Joe about being able to say sustain the work over a prolonged period of time that that's the secret exactly there's, there's lots of helpful things to get you along the way and it's good it's such good fun having new toys and um new insight into things i think that's really challenging as a coach sometimes is to is to keep nudging ahead and keeping ahead with these things um yeah, I mean, like, yeah, obviously, I don't. I'm not sure if I mentioned it. Second, but obviously, running power meters have become a, a thing over the last last um, four or five years. Um, yeah, I think the next big thing is probably going to be motion motion capture technology, like where you know wearables in terms of technical capture. Um, now that you even have those goggles that show you the pace that uh, you are swimming. Yeah, yeah, those are the next trend. Yeah, so the interesting thing with those is they came out a few years ago in glasses. I can't remember the name of the company. And they, that was for the bike, if I'm not wrong. Yeah, yeah, they bombed, yeah. and now they've come back as goggles. Um, so, yeah, I'm, the technology thing's interesting. I think it I can think, be a huge yeah. distraction. I agree with you. Um, they are very useful in some aspects. But in some others, they can just distract you so much from what's the point of the of the session itself. Mm. I remember 15 years ago when we only had the heart rate monitors. If my coach asked me to go easy, I would go easy. I don't care about the pace. I don't care about the heart rate as long as I feel easy. Um, nowadays, if I ask someone to go easy, they're going to ask you what's the heart rate, what's the pace, what's the power. It's like, it's easy. Mm. Just go. You know, make it simple. Um, I, I actually learned a lot from, and I've, I've kept this in my head for about, I think about three, four years ago, one of the guys that I coached for a long time, um, actually the first guy that I first coached through Try Training Harder, um, we had a conversation uh, at Portugal uh, during the week's camp, and we were just having a sort of sit-down chat in the reception area, and we, we, we were sort of asking this very question about, and I was just trying to gauge where he was at, you know, with regards to the same topic. And he just came back to me and said, I can tell you what that is. And he said, data, all this data stuff, um, this is not exact quote, um, it's just a guideline. It's not like a rule. Mm -hmm. And I, th yeah. I think I, it, 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 it illustrates the way, but it doesn't show you the way. So I, I've been using this. So at the moment with the whole pandemic thing, the analogy that I really like to, to sort of talk about and share, you know, just in friends and conversation is at the moment, Everybody is in the position of being stood in a space that is completely dark. Right? No, nobody knows what is going to happen or what is the best way or what is the solution. Nobody knows. So when you find yourself in a dark room, the best thing to do is not to run as fast as you can in one direction and hope that you don't smash into an object. You need to, you need to step by step, try to turn the light on and illuminate one section and work that out but you still don't know what's behind you to the side of you or any you know obviously mm -hmm. you've got a 360 degree environment around you so you need to gradually work your way out of this dark space 
And I think that's kind of what all the technology does for training, is it, it shows you all of this information, but it, it doesn't tell you the way out. It doesn't tell you the right way. And I, I think that's where a coach can come in, you know, be really useful because they can tell you, okay, this thing for you right now would be quite useful um, in order in order for you to make the next the next step, the next development. You know, and and I, I get frustrated a lot of the time with more. Um, it depends completely on the athlete's mindset, but um, patience is the one thing that I kind of you know wish that athletes would have more of a lot of the time. Um, because nothing, we're an endurance sport and nothing moves quickly in terms of training response. Things take time. Yeah, they do take, they do take time. Um, and, and there's so much to be learned and absorbed without technology. So I think, uh, you know, within the coaching and within the work that, you know, I do and we do with all of the other uh, try training harder coaches is we speak about a lot about the right piece of advice the right piece of advice or the right piece of information at the right time for the right athlete in the right context so although both of us might know something it's about communicating that to the athlete in question at the time at which they need to hear it in their development and it's the same for technology and data it's you, you need to use the appropriate piece of equipment at the right time at the right progress exactly the same as you know a um, a beginner cyclist should probably not start with a disc wheel deep front wheel ultra aero time trial bike for their first bike handling session and some of them just buy the, the last model of bikes and to, to start with yeah. um, you mentioned the pandemic that we're living in do you think this is one of our biggest challenge as coaches to try to motivate our athletes to keep training even if even if they don't know when they're going to race? To be honest, with you, I think it's like it's the biggest opportunity. I've I've I think I've learned more this year than any other year um, with coaching, um, especially for you know the predominant amount of coaching that we do is obviously online. Mm -hmm. um, so being, I, I think. You know, obviously, the the shift of communication, focus, goal setting. The, normally, that comes from the athlete. Obviously, we have athletes come to us, and I would like to achieve this. And this year, that's all been taken away. So, I found myself being, you know, and there's been, it's been the the relationship with the athletes have been much more um, continuous. Um, I think it's much much less influenced by outside noise because there's less there's just less noise there's less races going on and therefore the focus has been more process orientated what regardless of regardless of when your event is and what your event is for you to develop as an individual what do you need to do now and it and that that that's uh, that's been really interesting um as a an opportunity to sort of learn for me and for and for the athletes um and it's been really interesting having to to direct those goals 
and being completely in control of it. So I've definitely had athletes doing time trials in, in all of the disciplines in some format or another. So like uh, one of the guys that I worked with uh, did a, a few 10-mile time trials, did a few of those, did a 25-mile time trial and did a 50-mile time trial, all on the same section of road that we sort of found and worked really well and ended up using that to, to go and experience all of that time trialing because he'd, pre, he'd done triathlon a while ago but then just come back to triathlon earlier this year. And so having done marathons for a bit, the cycling was the big thing that he needed to sort of pick up on. And there's been some, you know, really super experience come for that. And I'm, I'm, I'm excited to be able to actually test that out um, next year. Should be, it should be interesting. Um, I, I think I have the same feeling as you according to learning more this year than the rest of my coaching career because we have been so focused on trying to find tools to um, to make our athletes motivated and to bring the best out of them without the race um, issue mm. and I think that we as a team have worked quite well um, I have to be honest with you I learned quite a lot this year and um, even the communication I had with my athletes was much more consistent and uh, the feedback was, was even different from the previous year. So I think this pandemic in a certain way brought us some kind of uh, positive things in this kind of coach-athlete relationship. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree. Challenges. I think, I think the lesson to it is, like, is to actually is to... Um, maybe just like take on a few more challenges mm -hmm. and you know it, it's it's encouraged me to to challenge myself a little bit more uh with regards to my own coaching like the, you know at the moment i'm definitely finding myself in this situation where i'm like okay what's how can i progress how can i do the next step and i get like part of that has been working with the other coaches part of that has been the situation we found ourselves in um Breaking the routine that you yeah. had before. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know if you would say the same, but having done triathlon personally since 2005, 2006, the opportunity to, from an athlete point of view to not race and to have the freedom to, to try some other things has been, has been really interesting. For me personally, this was one of the best years to try different stuff. I did some interesting challenges. I would never do them if I had the race goal on my mind, for yeah. example. Yeah. Across my country from the north to the south and from the west to the east. So, And this is the kind of stuff that you, you don't do on a normal season. Yeah. But this year, it gave us the opportunity to, to do that. And it was amazing. I had so much fun. Yeah. All um, of those things that you put off because you're training. Exactly. Yeah. It shows you how feasible they are as well. I think that's really important. Um, you know, like I, I went swimming for the first time um a few a few days ago and I've not I've not swam a lot. Um and it reaffirmed to me how important, you know, the bit between your, your hips and your rib cages. Um mm -hmm. in terms of so I was I was awful to start with. <laughs> I was like, "What am I doing?" And it really made me think, like, you know, what do work? Where do I need to work to get this to work? And so that that was quite valuable in terms of, I think, regression sometimes is really useful. Like as a coach, but also like for, 
sometimes like to for a coach to go back sometimes and to explore you forget some things or they become slightly gray and so it's been a good process of revision i think sometimes we forget the basic stuff or not forget it but just for it not to be so fresh in your mind um so yeah it's been it's been super interesting um yeah. How much um, do you think that triathlon is going to change now with the COVID situation? Because it seems that it's not going to disappear so soon. What's um, how much do you think is going to change for next season if we have a season? Mm, I don't. I don't. I don't think things will massive. You know, I don't think COVID is going to have some sort of long term change in terms of triathlon. I hope. I hope it actually rejuvenates like national level races. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's very peculiar. Like you know, make, you know, your question sort of making me think back to you know when did I get into it and how did I you know how did I get into it and also, um, but there seems like this spread of people just doing international events, and there's actually so much fun and joy to be had in just doing your local event. And competing with people that you know and you, 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 people that you train with each week in your local club. Like for me, I really miss, you know, I, I moved to, moved um, sort of where I was living down to, to Exeter, not, not a huge amount of time, a few months before, you know, late, later on, well, this time sort of last year, really. Um, and the thing that I've missed is just doing the Friday night track sessions with the local club. I mean, dare I say it, I miss running. Um, that's the thing I miss most, but we're quite lucky in as a group of us go all the time and it's it's good fun. I miss doing those. And for me, I'd really like to go back and to do some smaller local races for fun uh, with that with that group of people. You know, and I've barely seen any of them throughout all of this. Um, uh, which, which was sad, I guess. Um, but I, I, was, I was thinking that when it was the last time I did a local race, and it was before the Ironman I did in 2018, it's been more than two years already. Mm. Mm. In quite a lot of time. Well, I haven't raced since then. Yeah. Um, but now I'm looking forward to do it. Um, as, as you said, just the fact that you're going to see some friends and race against them. Yeah. It's going to be fun. Yeah, there's a joy in that, isn't there? Yeah. The only problem is the longer, longer, the longer you do triathlon, I'm sure it's exactly the same for you. You, you, you'll find yourself over in, I mean, like the guy who coaches those Friday night track sessions, I've known for best part of those 15 years, and I remember being over in France in 2010 at the Abdues triathlon. Little did I know, nine years later, I'd be back there running a training camp week for yeah. tri training harder. <laughs> Uh, and knowing Kevin, who lives at the foot, obviously one of the other coaches, and uh, so yeah, and uh, so uh, Rob Moore is the the other coach's name. He's a, a level three coach as well, and uh, I just remember walking along the street in France and him going, "Oh, uh, hi, Alan." I was like, "Oh, oh Rob." <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, I, it's even better, I think, if you can do that with you know people you spend you know quite a lot of time training with and. So I'm hope I'm hoping like next year I, I don't necessarily see international events being the same, um, but I take you know it's been really good to see the events that have happened this year. You know I spent a little bit of time time trialing myself, 
um, and athletes that I work with have done that as well. And obviously, uh, Outlaw X um, yesterday, mm-hmm. uh, running with a lot of the Brit athletes racing um, uh, amongst amongst other events. Uh, I know some of the Castle Series events as well. Um, Cotswolds one one three classic events. I know in the UK they they seem to have done a good job of getting some events going. Um, not much. I'm not so sure in the way uh, in terms of the way of um, like running. Um, but yeah, I think there'll definitely be some things next year. I mean, for me, the thing that I really like to see more more of. I really enjoy the Super League events. Yeah, I think they're brilliant, and it and. I'm geeky enough to know about um, the um, the Formula One races in Australia in the 90s, mm-hmm. which Chris McCormack sort of came up with this uh, Super League idea based on that. Um, and I think they did some of those events recently in France, if I'm not wrong, the arena ones where the guys just swim and ride their bikes and run. Yeah, they did it virtually. I think that was actually in Holland. I might be wrong. Even before that, they did something. Oh, okay. Yeah, we were watching Pereira, the Portuguese guy. Okay. Um, I think it was part of the Grand Prix, the circuit that they have in France. Yeah. And um, that was impressive because that's that's so tough, so, yeah. so, so hard to do. The, the only really big change that I can see coming is how, I guess, stakeholders in triathlon, if you like, the big names, I think I think some of, there will be some consequence to how you know how different people have responded to this pandemic. Mm-hmm. I think you know I think in the in the long term, obviously like professional triathletes organisation, you know their initial response to to distribute all the prize money, yeah, towards the professional athletes. Um, I think that's a huge positive. You know, for them to step up and just do that, that, you know, no hesitation, we're going to do this, we're going to get it done. Um, I think that was a really big move from them. And also the money they put into, so I don't know about international events, I must say, I think that maybe it was an American event I've just seen, it's got some funding, but Hellvelin Triathlon and Outlaw X in the UK um, got a lot lot more prize money than they normally would. And, you know, that's one of the reasons why I say hopefully some of these more national events Especially the older events like Helvellyn, um, get a bit of support. I think that'd be great, because um, they they I don't want to see them disappear. I think it'd be really yeah. nice. Um, but yeah, them doing that, I can, I think that might make a that will that will have like a trickle down consequence uh, at a top level. I'm just remembering the. Um... The strategy that Challenge Roth used to uh, postpone the race for next year mm. cancelled this year, and um, the appeal they did to the um, to the office in order to not try not to get this race to disappear because it's such an important race. Were, were you I, entered for that one? Uh, no, not this year. No. So I, I was. I don't know if you knew that or not, but I was. I knew it. Yeah, I knew it. I actually decided to give half my entry fee. So, yeah, back to Roth for the same reason that I've just said about Helvellyn. Um, the I didn't want to see that event go. So I felt, you know, <laughs> for me, I know we've spoken about this a lot <laughs> personally due to your having done it and mine not. But I just thought, you know what, if I if I didn't contribute anything to this and the event was to disappear, 
well, I mean, it's slightly self-serving, but I just know how iconic that event is. You know, in terms, of, I think Lofa Leader held the the fastest long distance time there for a long time, mm-hmm. and obviously Fredino uh, now holds that mark. Chrissy Wellington, um, I believe. Even the, um, the atmosphere in the race is just incredible. Those guys love triathlon, and um, what you feel about that race is when you're there. They're going to be there to support you, and the race is for the athletes, it's not for the organization. Yeah. Triathlon um, without the Solarberg wouldn't be the same. Exactly. Yeah. It's such an important race to maintain. And I would say that 80% or even more of the athletes, they, they just contributed to the, um, to the race mm. for next year. Mm. Um, so that, I think that was a very good strategy, and they paid off quite well. Yeah. And hopefully, we're going to see you next year in Roth crossing the line. Oh, well, um, I'm definitely sure. I'm entered. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, make sure that you do less than nine hours twenty-four. Just saying, is is that somebody's mark? Well, I wanted to get a cap. You see, hashtag. That was my, my yeah. That was my mark in in Roth the first time I did it. Okay, so I've got uh, <laughs> I've got eight minutes to gain then from Italy. Yeah, exactly. Um, but anyway, Alan. It was a pleasure to talk with you about some of the, the themes in triathlon. This has been a very interesting conversation. I hope those who are listening to it agree with us. Um, thank you so much. Best of luck for the rest of the season. And uh, we're going to talk soon for sure. Thanks. Thanks, Diego. Interesting chat. Nice to talk a little history with you. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye. The Believe, Strive, Achieve podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment. And show notes are found at trytrainingharder.com. Come back often and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at trytrainingharder. Thanks for listening.